0: Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. For this show, I have three new movies to review for you. Two of them are brand new in that they came out on August 25th. 2023. The other one I didn't get to review until now. That one came out on August 18th, and I'm going to save that for later in the show, but I'm just going to get to the newest movie that I reviewed right now that's in theaters currently. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Gran Turismo. And this is actually a movie that's based on a true story in addition to also being based on a video game. I think that's probably the first time that this has happened. But I guess it's technically based on the true story of somebody who actually played this video game, Gran Turismo. And it gives you an idea of how little I know about video games nowadays. I I only really know what I download occasionally, like... Candy Crush, for example, but the games that come out from PlayStation, Xbox, and those major consoles, I haven't played those games in probably about 20, 25 years, so I'm definitely behind the times when it comes to a lot of the -the state-of-the-art video games that are coming out right now. There are people with whom I work who are so caught up on video games, but at the same time, they don't know a lot of the movies that are coming out Uh, as opposed to me, who knows just about every movie that's coming out. So, as I said, Gran Turismo is based primarily on a true story and also technically on a video game, and it's about a team of underdogs, a struggling working-class gamer, a failed former race car driver, and an idealistic motorsport exec who risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world, which is race car driving. Even though I don't really know a lot about race car driving and I cannot watch it on TV because I'd I'd be bored to tears, I do have an appreciation for it. And yeah, I do consider it a sport. I do appreciate what the drivers actually have to go through. And I know that it can be, or at least I've heard, it can be very hot in that car, and they're also putting their lives at risk. It's a dangerous sport. I appreciate all of that. It's not just somebody who is steering a car and pushing a pedal. There, there's so much more to it than that. And for that reason, I can appreciate it. So, Gran Turismo is the true story about a young man by the name of Jan Mardenborough, who's played in this movie by Archie Mattockway, who is a teenager who is living in Cardiff, Wales. Cardiff is the capital of Wales, and I think it might be the largest city in Wales, but it's not nearly as large or as auspicious a city as London. And he is a child of working-class parents. His mother, uh, Leslie Marnborough, who's played in this movie by uh, Jerry Horner, and his father, who's probably an immigrant to Wales, whose name is Steve Martinborough, and he's played by Jaiman Hunso. And Jaiman Hunso is an actor I have loved for several years, and Jaiman Hunso is a former model who... Has so far, I think, chosen all his movie roles very carefully, and like another actor, I'll bring up later. Even when Jimin Hunso has been in a bad movie, he's usually not the worst part of it because he gives it his all. But anyway, Jan Martinborough is hooked on this game Gran Turismo, and he gets the opportunity of a lifetime when he enters a contest where, if he is the winner of the Gran Turismo game, he actually gets to race live in a real. Grand Prix event in a a real race car. And for somebody who's obsessed with this particular video game, that is, of course, the opportunity of a lifetime. But as Jan Martinborough learns, racing by way of a video game is not nearly as intense as the stakes aren't nearly as high as racing a real sports car but of course he has a mentor in a former race car driver named Jack Salter who's played by David Harbour and this is the actor that I've been mentioning who even if he's in a bad movie I don't think he's been in a bad tv show yet I could be wrong but even when he's in a bad movie he definitely gives it his all and I think. In giving it his all, he actually elevates what could otherwise be a bad movie to greater heights. And one of those examples is a film that came out in November of 2022, Violent Night. That's a movie that's whose premise sounds incredibly stupid on paper. And David Harbor was one of the big reasons that movie worked and I think it is actually one of the bi- he's actually one of the even bigger move uh, reasons that this movie works because Gran Turismo as a movie is what you might expect from a particular sports film, especially when it's a team of underdogs we're dealing with and a driver who has... Very little experience in race car driving except for playing this video game. And I think that David Harbour, I think, is the the best actor in this film. And he certainly has the most development in terms of his character. But Archie Medecue also does really well as the real uh, Jan Mardenborough, And the two of them make a great team. Although, I think David Harbour scenes, especially when Jan Mardenborough is in training makes you realize just how hard a sport race car driving is if you weren't aware of it already. And David Harbour's character, Jack Salter, does not mess around. There's also another good supporting performance by Orlando Bloom, who is a bit unrecognizable in this role, even though he's not having any heavy prosthetics in terms of his makeup. But he plays uh, an executive at Nissan named Danny Moore, who starts this contat- contest and, in conjunction with PlayStation to find the the next race car phenomenon based on people who are really, really good at that PlayStation video game series. And Orlando Bloom, I think, takes a back seat once David Harbour is in the mix, but I did actually like the dynamic between Orlando Bloom's character and David Harbour's character, not to mention when the three principal actors there are... Teaming up and making Jan Martinborough the best racer he can be. In addition to the fact that this movie does not pull punches when it shows you just how dangerous a real race can actually be. And there's one particularly brutal scene where Jan Martinborough gets into an accident, and the movie does not shy away from the consequences of that action. And it also doesn't shy away from the emotions that come with it, especially from somebody who has survivor's guilt. And I might have given a little bit away, but overall, I think one of the biggest selling points in this film is just how it uses its graphics to figuratively put you in the driver's seat, but also show you just how intense and how unappreciatedly complicated race car driving can be and how it's, it's a game of the mind, not just a, a game, uh, it's not even really a game per se. So watching Gran Turismo, I certainly had more of an appreciation for race car driving than I had previously, even though I had acknowledged that it is a, a very intense sport and one that should actually be considered a, a sport, not like, Some people dismiss bowling as not a sport. But some of the credibility with Gran Turismo being a legitimate movie, not just a legitimate sports movie, probably goes primarily to the director, Neil Bloomkamp, who is actually an Academy Award nominee. He wasn't actually nominated for Best Director for his 2009 movie District 9, which is, I think, a modern sci-fi classic, but he was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for that movie. And he's directed some other notable films after that. He directed Elsium in 2013. Which starred Matt Damon and Jodie Foster. He also directed another interesting, albeit a little bit more kid-friendly sci-fi film called Chappie, which reminded me a lot of Short Circuit. It wasn't as good as Short Circuit, but it was still noteworthy. But Neil Blomkamp, I think, very much like District Nine and Chappie, makes this film elevates this film to a higher cinematic quality than probably some other. Directors would, and he uses technology, especially CGI in this film to do that and there's one particular scene where the uh, Jan Mardenborough is racing, and he has a moment where he 's flashing back to when he's playing a video game and and the CGI that's used in that moment which I won't entirely give away I'll just tell you that it's a special effect that is very unique and one I haven't seen before that elevated I think that scene in particular to a more poignant level than it probably needed to so the movie was a little bit on the predictable side but I think it stuck Enough to Jan Martinborough's true story, not to mention the real Jan Martinborough actually served as a stunt double th- for this film. So it was, I think some people might be distracted by some of the product placement in this film, but at the same time, product placement is a big part of racing of uh, car racing of all kinds today in the big league. So I think the movie can get a pass for that. It was hindered a little bit by its predictability, but I'm still going to give it a marginal knockout because the acting in this film was a lot better than a lot of people might think a movie like this would deserve to have. I loved David Harborough, Archie Madekwe, and Jimon Hunso in this movie in particular in their respective roles. And it also was a really great sports movie in the sense that I had to actually... De escalate my seat from the incline uh, reclining position to actually see the climax of this film, which does live up to its hype. So, Gran Turismo was certainly a win for me with the checkered flag. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. This is a Netflix original that is brought to you by the Happy Madison production company. But unlike most Happy Madison productions, this one actually has a predominantly female crew in the sense that the writers of the film are are both female, Allison Peck and Fiona Rosenblum, and the director is Sammy Cohen, who had previously directed such films as Crush from last year, but I don't actually, I, I actually missed that film, but there, there was one other... Movie that she directed, but I can't find it right now. But she's had more experience directing uh, TV episodes than she has movies. But of course, with move uh, with TVs experiencing a renaissance right now in terms of its quality. That's not to take away from her previous directorial experience at all. In fact, I love the fact that a film about a bat mitzvah, not a bar mitzvah, is directed by and written by women, even though some men brought this to the big screen. And this does have somewhat of a tough act to follow in terms of of coming-of-age films, especially after the recent adaptation of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. But unlike Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, this is dealing with a woman who is, A, becoming a woman in the eyes of the Jewish faith, and B, she's not waiting for her period. She's already had her period, and that creates a whole influx of other problems that are typical of a lot of, if not all, of adolescent girls. And the star of this movie is Sonny Sandler, who plays Stacy Friedman, who is getting ready for her bat mitzvah, and she is struggling with a lot of things in her life, not just her reaching womanhood in the eyes of the Jewish faith, but also the typical junior high problems. And she is... Uh, Adam Sandler's daughter, and she's had some experience in acting, I I suppose more than a lot of girls her age. Actually, in reality, she is 14 years old right now, but by the time this movie had been filmed, she was probably of the age of her on-screen counterpart, which is actually kind of unusual these days, because in a lot of movies and TV shows, kids who play junior high students are actually high school age and kids who play high school students are actually college age. So I liked how this movie stuck with authenticity, even if it meant that there was some nepotism involved. But as I was saying, Sonny Sandler, along with her sister Sadie Sandler, are both in this movie and they both play sisters. And It it probably is no surprise that she's had experience acting in many other Adam Sandler movies, including but not limited to both Grown Ups films, Jack and Jill and Pixels, just to name a few. But rest assured, even though those films were pretty bad, Adam Sandler's daughters were not the reason those films were bad. There were many other reasons why the films were bad. But anyway, just like in real life, Adam Sandler plays... Uh, Stacy's father and her mother is actually played by Adina Menzel, who was Adam Sandler's wife in the movie Uncut Gems. Kind of interesting casting choice, especially when you consider that Adam Sandler's real wife and Sadie Sandler and Sonny Sandler's real mother, Jackie Sandler, is in this movie, but she actually plays the mother of Sonny Sandler's character's best friend. Lydia Rodriguez-Katz, who's played by Samantha Lorraine. And Sonny Sandler and Samantha Lorraine have amazing chemistry in this film. I don't know whether or not they were best friends in real life, but judging from their on-screen chemistry, it seems like they knew each other since they were six. Which, judging from some archive footage that you actually see, they just might have been. But regardless... Um, uh, Sonny Sand, excuse me, Stacy Friedman played by Sonny Sandler is going through a lot of issues leading up to her bat mitzvah. She has a crush on a guy in her class and her Hebrew school whose name is Andy Goldfarb, who's played by Dylan Hoffman. And there is one scene that I can tell from experience is heart wrenching. And I know this because I was 13 and 14 once and I experienced this when somebody on whom you have a crush is dating somebody else. And I'm not going to reveal who that somebody else is, but yeah, there are times where I feel where I felt like my heart had been ripped in half. And I think that Sonny Sandler plays a lot of these parts incredibly well. And granted, of course, Sonny Sandler, thanks to her father, has had extensive acting experience in bit roles in her father's movies. But here, I feel like scenes like that, both when she's happy, when she's taking risks, and also when she's heartbroken, really um, sell the film, and it shows that Aside from nepotism, which could have given her, which did give her a big step in securing a role in this film, it also shows that she actually takes her acting seriously, and she really earned her place in this movie, even though she probably had a bigger step up than other actresses her age. I also liked some other supporting performances in this movie, like, for example current SNL cast member, Sarah Sherman, who plays a rabbi by the name of Rebecca, who is teaching the this group of barely post-pubescent students about what, how to prepare for their bar or bat mitzvahs. And Sarah Sherman has, uh, I think, probably a, a great role in this because she's a rabbi who knows the Torah inside and out, but she also is not as separated from the students age-wise as your typical stereotypical uh, rabbi on film, especially in movies like A Serious Man, for example. But that's yeah, a typical uh, stereotypical kind of um, rabbi, uh, which is is good for some of those movies. But here, I, I felt like in this community in which... Stacy Friedman lives and also in a more affluent Jewish community, you'd probably be more apt to see a rabbi like this. Plus, it, it bashes one major stereotype about Jewish people, especially those who make a living from being rabbis or being active members of their temples or their synagogues. And I think just about every actor in this movie, small or large, plays their role really well. I feel like the the parents are a little bit underdeveloped. And there was also a DJ in this film who DJs big events like Bat Mitzvahs, who I think kind of oversold his role a little too much. But the parts where Sonny Sandler is expressing a lot of anxiety and guilt and also jealousy, Those are some of the best parts of the film. And also, watching this film was a tad bit cathartic for me. I didn't grow up Jewish, but I definitely had years where, during my adolescence, I kind of wished I had hibernated. But they were painful moments that made me who I am today. But at the time, they felt torturous. And I can certainly appreciate seeing a film like this, even though... I'm not Jewish, and I don't know what it's like to grow up as an adolescent girl, trust me, but I think in a sense, even if you're not part of this kind of affluent community, even if you're not part of this religion, there's a lot to which a lot of people of many different faiths can relate while seeing this film. And I also give a lot of kudos to Adam Sandler for taking a back seat and letting his daughters or particularly Sonny Sandler shine in this film also Sadie Sandler who is older than Sonny Sandler has a smaller role in this film but she has moments that are poignant as well I think she's certainly been 13 before and she knows exactly what her younger sister is going through (laughs) some people have experience with that as well and you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah, has a lot of poignant moments, It I give it a high checkout. And the reason for that is because I think there are times where, uh, thanks in large part to Adam Sandler and his production company, the movie might have taken a few too many comedic liberties when it didn't really need to. And I think the addition of the the DJ, whose name is DJ Schmully who's played by Ido Mosseri, the, the scenes he has, particularly there's one scene where he gets into a car crash, and that's kind of played for a bit of cheap laughs. That kind of took me out of the film a little bit, but when it actually stuck to how hard it is to grow up, regardless of how much your, money, uh, your parents make in terms of money, that's when it really got to be more of a poignant film. And I also liked many of the supporting performances, especially Sarah Sherman as Rabbi Rebecca. And Sarah Sherman is hilarious right now on SNL, although SNL is going to get a late start because of both the writer strike and the SAG after strike. But she still has some hilariously funny moments on SNL, and she shows in this film that she can shine too, and very good for everyone who does shine in this film. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Blue Beetle. This is the latest film in the DC Extended Universe. It's actually the 14th installment. But unlike other DC Extended Universe movies, this movie actually focuses on just one superhero, and that is Blue Beetle. Now, Blue Beetle is a superhero that has been around actually since 1939. And Blue Beetle does have a lot in common with... Spider-Man and Iron Man and and many other Marvel uh, comics superheroes, not so much DC comics, although there, there could be some comparisons drawn between Blue Beetle and Cyborg, but actually I was not aware of the character of Blue Beetle, I've never read a Blue Beetle comic in my entire life, but I do know from my research that the character was actually introduced in 1939 and... Originally, it actually wasn't even a DC Comics character, it was a Fox Comics character developed before Rupert Murdoch created the Fox Network. But anyway, the first Blue Beetle was Dan Garrett, who was a police officer, and then in 1964, he, um, there was uh, somebody by the name of Ted Cord, who was Dan Garrett's student, who took on the mantle of Blue Beetle, but... In this movie and in DC Comics beginning in 2006, the Blue Beetle was Jamie Reyes, who is a Mexican-American, and this is where the film begins the Blue Beetle legacy. So Jamie Reyes in this film is played by an actor whose name I might mispronounce, and apologies to this actor as well as the Mexican-American community for me mispronouncing this Actor's name, but his name I believe is Zolo Maraduena. I'm just going to call him uh, Zolo. <laughs> anyway, so this guy plays the uh, character Jamie Reyes, who lives in East Los Angeles and uh, specifically in Palmera City. And he actually graduated from Gotham Law University only to learn that his family is facing eviction from their home due to financial difficulties. And Yamie's sister, uh, Milagro, manages to get him a job working at some woman by the name of Victoria's mansion. However, both of them are fired after Yamie steps into steps in to stop a confrontation between Victoria and her niece, Jenny. And Jenny later tells Jamie to meet her at Cord Tower the next day to discuss a job opportunity. And then when Jamie goes to the cord, he ultimately steps into the wrong room and becomes possessed with this symbiote which is also sort of a robotic symbiote that Cord Industries has been developing that gives him superpowers. Well not exactly superpowers, but it gives him a suit very much like Iron Man's suit, although unlike Iron Man's suit, Yamie does not actually have the ability, at least not at first, to control the suit. The suit kind of controls him. And there could have been a development where it, it controls him in a bad sort of way, but it actually um, helps him fight crime and work towards the greater good. And I really liked the development of all of the Reyes family. There were some predictable moments here. Like, for instance, when you see the character of Jenny Cord, who is biracial, she's uh, part Caucasian and part Mexican, and she's played by Bruna Marquezine. Uh, Again, my apologies if I mispronounce that name. But once you see her, you know, within three seconds, you know she's going to be the love interest of Yami. And also, you know that um, Yami's sister, uh, Milagro, who's played by Belisa Escobedo, is going to be kind of the equivalent of the quirky best friend. But I did, however, like one performance in this film a lot more than I expected to like it. And that was the part of Rudy Reyes, who's played by George Lopez. And I have kind of mixed feelings about George Lopez. I've, I've seen George Lopez's stand-up comedy. Frankly, I don't find him funny. I mean, he's better than Carlos Mencia, but at the same time, I do also respect where George Lopez comes from in terms of where he started out and the fact that he is actually a household name, including in non-Latina households. But George Lopez in this movie is actually very good and very funny, and I liked his appearance as a character. It was almost kind of as if I didn't recognize him at first, but... Once the movie progressed, I actually really liked how they developed his character. And there were also some other roles in the Reyes family, like, for instance, uh, Yami's father, uh, excuse me, um, Yami's grandmother, Nana Reyes, who mi- who might have been in another role a bit part. But in this film, I actually did like the way her character was surprisingly well developed. And also, the primary antagonist in this film is Victoria Cord, who is the heiress of the Cord Industries family, who also uh, has some nefarious intentions, as you learn in the beginning of the film, so I'm not spoiling anything. And Victoria Cord is played by Susan Sarandon. And it's kind of rare for Susan Sarandon to play a villain, but actually in this film and also in the last film I remember where Susan Sarandon plays a villain, which was Disney's Enchanted, Susan Sarandon has a lot of fun playing a villain. And in this film, it certainly... No exception. She looks like she's having a great time. She's probably one of the best villains that they've had in the DC Extended Universe so far. So kudos to, especially to Susan Sarandon for having such a great time playing the villain. And a lot of people are getting behind Blue Beetle because it's the first major film where a Mexican American is the superhero. And it certainly does have an appreciation for. Mexican and Mexican-American culture, which I can certainly appreciate. In fact, as the movie was progressing, I was hoping that the Blue Beetle would go down to the Mexican border and just knock down the walls that the Trump administration has built so far, but I guess that might be for another movie or more for a politically charged movie. Taking out the politics, though, Blue Beetle is a largely, other than the the acting performances and the the respectable characterization of the Mexican-American characters is largely a standard origin story for a superhero but i think that th- this origin film was done better than i expected it to be done and I was disappointed a little while ago that The Flash wasn't an origin story, but I gave that film a knockout because I appreciated what it was actually doing with different kinds of universes and time travel, and I thought it got very creative there. But Blue Beetle has a leg up from The Flash in the sense that it's still ambitious without reaching the ambition level of The Flash in terms of satisfying fanboys, but I also really liked it because of the great characters in addition to the special effects. So this is one of those films that seems to be sidestepping the superhero fatigue that a lot of people are saying moviegoers have right now, although I haven't quite seen it. Moviegoer fatigue, excuse me, superhero fatigue will probably hit moviegoers when one of these films bombs hard. The Flash was a film that was that that underperformed based on expectations, but it didn't bomb hard. And I don't think Blue Beetle will either. I think it will probably be one of those films that will be escalated by way of word of mouth, and actually it deserves it. Maybe the film was a little bit predictable in terms of the origin story and also of the love interest, but I do feel like a sequel can elevate this. But for what it is, Blue Beetle gets my rating of a marginal knockout because of the fact that it's obvious that the writer, Gareth Dunnett Alcoser. And the director, Angel Manuel Soto, have not only a love for this character, but also an appreciation for the other characters in this film. And that's really what sets it apart from some of the other DC Extended Universe films, especially Justice League, that fell flat. And the reason it fell flat was it seemed to be, A, in a rush to catch up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and B, it seemed to kind of ride on the coattails seemingly, of the other probably more established superheroes like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. But Blue Beetle has a unique advantage in that it's starting from scratch, and because people like me haven't read some of the Blue Beetle's comics, they are probably going to have a clean slate going in. But I was impressed with what this movie could have done with what was otherwise a predictable story. And for that reason, I'm giving it a higher mark than I probably would many other films of that starting origin story. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, and I reviewed three huge films for uh, earlier in this show, huge ones. And I had a lot to say about each and every one of them. And now that I've reviewed those films, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, or at least the first part of my final segment, which is What's Coming Up Next?, And this is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and or, if I have time, on streaming for the week of August 27th through September 1st, 2023. And there's one film that is subject to being released in theaters on August 30th, 2023. And that movie is called Slotherhouse. And no, I did not mispronounce that. S-L-O-T-H-E-R-H-O-U-S-E. It looks like a fun movie and it says on the poster that it's going to be in theaters on August 30th, so chances are it just might be. But the movie is about Emily Young, who is a senior, presume oh, actually a senior in college, not a senior in high school or a senior citizen, who wants to be elected as her sorority's president. She adopts a cute sloth, thinking that it can be thinking that I can become the new mascot and help her win until a string of fatalities implicate the sloth as the main suspect in the murders. Hilarious! Oh, my God. And I didn't read, actually, the genres of this film, but it is a comedy horror thriller because it's a killer sloth, allegedly. That's that's funny. But the movie stars, amongst other people, Stefan Kapichik Lisa Ambalavanar, Olivia Rove, Sidney Craven, and Grace Patterson, amongst other people. And the character of Emily is played by Lisa Ambalavanar. Great. That's an epic last name, even though I haven't seen her in anything. I know Grace Patterson, but that's really about it. There might be some big star here that's in a supporting role, but largely... I don't know the cast of this film, but it seems like one of those midnight movies you'd see on Halloween, and I am desperately trying not to see movie previews of this because I am on a movie preview fast, as major critics should be, but I'd love to see this film because it sounds so funny. So it might be a film that I will see, and I'll let you know what I think if I see it on a future show. But on September 1st, 2023, which is a Friday, there are a number of films that are going to be released in the theaters. The biggest one of them is The Equalizer 3, where Denzel Washington returns as Robert McCall. And this movie could have been called The Three Equalizer, but I don't think an actor as serious as Denzel Washington would have allowed that, especially considering this film Uh, is definitely serious, but unlike the first two films that took place in Boston, this one takes place in southern Italy because that's where Robert McCall moves, presumably to be in retirement. But he discovers his friends are under the control of local crime bosses. So as events turn deadly, McCall knows what he has to do, become his friend's protector by taking on the mafia. Unbelievable. This is Denzel Washington versus the Mafia. This is going to be... I don't want to say it's going to be so good, but man, the premise is really cool. Plus, the first two Equalizer movies were amazing. So, Denzel Washington stars in this movie along with Dakota Fanning. And I don't think Dakota Fanning was in either of the Equalizer movies, but she was in one film with Denzel Washington when she was little. And now she's a full-grown woman. Although she's not getting as many movie roles as her sister Elle Fanning, which is unfortunate because I do think Dakota Fanning is actually a better actress. But some of the other people who star in this film include Eugenio Mastrandrea, David Denman, Gaia Scaldellaro, and Remo Gironi, amongst other people. So this is a film that I will see. And I will let you know what I think after I see it on a future show. There's another film that is going that is subject to being released on September 1st. And this movie is called All Fun and Games. And All Fun and Games is not All Fun and Games. I think that's a very sardonic title. But it's a horror thriller that's about a group of Salem teens, presumably in Salem, Massachusetts, who discover a cursed knife that unleashes a demon that forces them to play gruesome, deadly versions of childhood games where there can be no winners, only survivors. So, this is a subgenre of the horror film that I'm very tired of seeing. It's when they take a game like Truth or Dare or Hide and Seek, and they make a horror film out of it. And with all fun and games, it seems to be all of the above. My guess is they probably take the game... Old Maid, that card game that's so archaic, I even forgot how to play. I think, it's, I think the last time I played, I was seven years old. Maybe, but, you know, again, I'll give this movie a chance. And the stars of the movie include Asa Butterfield, Laurel Marsden, Natalia Dyer, and Annabeth Gish, amongst other people. So this is a movie that I might see. I, As you can tell, I'm not too enthusiastic about it. But if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that's coming out or subject to being released on September 1st is a movie that's called The Good Mother. And this movie stars Hilary Swank, who plays a journalist who, after the murder of her estranged son, forms an unlikely alliance with his pregnant girlfriend to track down those responsible for his death. Together, they confront a world of drugs and corruption. This movie is a drama mystery thriller, and Hilary Swank stars alongside Olivia Cook, who presumably plays the pregnant girlfriend, Hopper Penn, Jack Rayner, Norm Lewis, and Karen Aldridge, amongst other people. And Hilary Swank has been largely absent from a lot of films for quite some time. Actually, I, I discovered a film that she did in 2020 that was kind of under rug swept because of the pandemic, and it might have been released in the theaters had it not been for the pandemic. But then again, um, it looked like an interesting film. I wish I could have seen it so I could review it for you on the show, although I would have made a disclaimer that it's not a brand new film, but I'd be interested to see how The Good Mother is. Uh, Hillary Swank has been kind of hit or miss over the last 15 years in terms of her Choice of movies, but if I do see The Good Mother, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on September 1st, 2023, is a movie that's called Marisol, and it's about a young man by the name of Marisol Rivera, who is a first generation Mexican American. I'm sorry, it's not a man, it's a woman by the name of Marisol Rivera, and to her, college is everything she worked toward she spends morning cleaning horse stalls and evening studying now with a scholarship in hand she's ready to leave southwest texas and begin her new life however when marisol's family excuse me when marisol is falsely accused of a crime she learns a heartbreaking truth and this is really tough she's undocumented forced to go on the run marisol discovers a kind of america amidst a harsh bureaucratic system a coming-of-age film through the lens of immigration, Marisol critically examines systemic oppression and the causality of racism. So this is taking on a lot of themes. It is not a documentary. It's a dramatized film, but I can't exactly see what genre this is because the site that I'm looking at isn't telling me. I would imagine it's a drama, maybe a thriller, but the actress who plays Marisol Rivera is Esmeralda Camargo, with whom I'm not familiar. She's definitely pretty, but I haven't seen her in anything else. She stars in this film along with uh, Liana Mendoza, Max Palayo, and Mia King, amongst other people. And this movie looks like it might be one of those scrappy underdog Oscar contenders. But again, I'm not saying it's going to be great or not, because... Every movie is good until proven bad. In other words, I have to see it in order to determine whether it's good or bad, or not. But anyway, Marisol is a movie that I might see. I hope it comes out at least in an independent theater near me, because it's taking on some very hot topics nowadays. But if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on September 1st, 2023, is a movie that's called Don't Look Away. And Don't Look Away is a combination of a lot of genres, but the primary genre under which it is, is horror. And the description of the movie is like this. It doesn't move, it doesn't kill. Excuse me. Excuse me. I messed that up. Let me try again. It doesn't move, it doesn't think, it just kills. Yeah, if it didn't kill, it wouldn't be a horror film. So anyway... For, young, for one young woman, a chance encounter with a supernatural entity proves devastating. Frankie learns that once you see the mannequin... Oh, God, mannequins are so scary as they are, they don't even need to move. But anyway, once you see the mannequin, there may be no end in sight, except for your own. So, the movie stars an actress by the name of Kelly Bastard. I don't know how she got out of junior high alive with a last name like that. But anyway, she seems like a fine young woman and she stars in this film along with Michael Mitten, Colm Hill, and Renee Lai, amongst other people. So there aren't any actors that I know who are in this film, but it looks like an interesting film, albeit it's about a mannequin that kills, so... You kind of know that it might be pretty scary, at least for me, because I have had times in my life where I've been terrified of mannequins. But if I see this movie, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And the final film that is subject to being released in theaters on September 1st, 2023 is a movie that's called Mr. Jimmy. And Mr. Jimmy is a documentary And it's about a Japanese guitarist who dedicates his life to honoring rock musician Jimmy Page, uh, recreating vintage Zeppelin concerts note for note in small Tokyo clubs. Wow. So this is a documentary and it is actually, it's gotten some great reviews so far by some of the publications that you would expect, like Rolling Stone, for example. And The Hollywood Reporter also gave it a good review. And I'm trying not to pay attention to reviews that aren't my own, especially considering that I don't want my opinions swayed one way or the other, especially by sites like Rotten Tomatoes. But this movie looks like it's an incredible topic. And Japanese people who have an interest and maybe even an obsession with American music makes for a fascinating movie, regardless of whether it's a documentary or not. I mean, not just Japanese people, but foreign people in general. That's generally a good start for a movie, especially when these people who are not Americans are kind of on the outside looking in. I like that kind of movie. And especially when there's a guitarist who is... Um, Emulating Jimmy Page, that's a great guitarist to emulate, by the way, because more people know that Jimmy Page is the guitarist for Led Zeppelin than they know that Robert Plant is the lead singer. But that's typical of rock bands of the 70s. For example, uh, Pete Townsend over Roger Daltrey in The Who, Joe Perry over Steven Tyler in Aerosmith, Keith Richards over Mick Jagger in... The Rolling Stones, and the list the list goes on. But in any event, Mr. Jimmy looks like a pretty awesome film. And hopefully it's good, but if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And w- since I'm not going to be here for the week of September 3rd through 8th, 2023, I might as well give you a sneak preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for September 8th. And the biggest movie that's going to be coming out on September 8th or is subject to come out is a movie I can guarantee you I'm not looking forward to seeing. And that movie is The Nun 2. It's part of the Conjuring universe. And movies from the Conjuring universe, like The Curse of La Llorona and... Annabelle Part 3 are movies that made my worst list at the end of their respective years because they weren't scary and they also had people who were supposed to be smart do really dumb things. For example, if you see a doll in a glass case and there are signs all over it that say, don't open this glass case, don't open it! And plus, the... Conjuring franchise has been milked to death. I don't know what kind of story The Nun 2 would be able to tell, except for the synopsis that I'm giving you. I might skip this one, but then again, I might see it because I have seen the original Nun film that is a spinoff of The Conjuring. This one takes place in France in 1956, where a priest is murdered and an evil is spreading. The sequel to the worldwide smash, because we just can't have nice things as moviegoers, follows Sister Irene as she once again comes face-to-face with Volok, the demon nun, which, who I think made a brief appearance in The Conjuring, but because The Conjuring makes a spinoff of every prop that is in the film, I, I wouldn't even be surprised to see a film from the people who make The Conjuring that's called The Floorboard, you know? take the wrong step and you'll be smacked in the face. The part of the conjuring universe. But anyway, the nun two is a film that I don't exactly look forward to seeing. And considering how many films I'll have to see before I come back in two weeks, I'll probably skip this one. But if you want to see it, it's coming out in theaters on September 8th, 2023. There's another movie that's going to be coming out in theaters on September 8th, 2023. And that movie is called My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, which might be an unnecessary sequel, but I really loved the first My Big Fat Greek Wedding. The the second one was reeked of contractual obligation and the plot wasn't all that great, but here I am actually kind of interested in what they what they would do with the Portokalos family as they travel to a family reunion in Greece for a heartwarming and hilarious trip full of love, twists, and turns. So, Nia Vardalos comes back not only as her character um, Fotula or Tula for short, but she also comes back as the sole writer and the director of this movie. So, I'd be interested to see what she does with this film, and it seems kind of like when the family is actually going to Greece, there might be something more interesting than having... Tula's parents renew their vows like they did in the second film. But will this film have a wedding like my big fat Greek wedding to excuse me, but the first, you know, the rest film did, but the second film kind of did maybe renewing their vows. I guess you could consider that a wedding with the same formalities. Is this movie going to have it? I don't know, but I will see it because I, I love the first film. Kind of appreciated the second film but didn't love it. But this film might be good, it might be bad, I don't know. But I will see it and I will review it for you on a future show. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. And I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA or the station as a whole. Until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies, this is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.